Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bredos. We're ready for another show, coming back for a second shot at the title. From BN Sports, Eric Krakauer shall meet me in the business end. And speaking of the business end, we're reaching the business end of the European soccer season, heading into a summer of soccer. So, as I like to tell you every week, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We will be with you along the way for the endings and the beginnings and what will be the year that will set the table for this sport moving forward here in the United States and beyond. We really do appreciate the support. Thanks for all those who've tuned in and helped me spread the word. Later on in stoppage time, I will bring up the topic of Manchester United and the perspective from the United States. It's all going to be another great show. And it starts right now. And we are back. Glad to be with you once again. I'm taping this on Mother's Day, so you're probably listening to it when it's not Mother's Day, but it made me think we should celebrate Mother's Day all the time. Get rid of all the other stuff. Uh, Father's Day, that's that that's trash, and I'm a father. That's eh, not necessary. You know what the fathers would want on their Father's Day? To just sit alone with their feet up watching sports, in my case. Or, you know, That's it. So get rid of it. Valentine's Day, goner. Burrito Day, National Sibling Day, all of it. Bye-bye. Mother's Day, we've got to really show appreciation to how important they are to all of us. Moms, wives, you name it. Actually, uh, you know, I'd like to get flowers. I don't know. I'm here in Los Angeles, and I went to the Los Angeles Flower Mart downtown. What an amazing experience, especially for Mother's Day. It felt, you know, this marketplace buzzing, people buying orchids and pots and everything. All this exotic flowers. It was very exciting to be there. I almost want to go back on a regular... I'm going to go back every... The day before Mother's Day when it's jam-packed and they've risen the prices as high as they can. I was also thinking of like a little side hustle where I bought flowers from the downtown LA Mart and I sold them here in the South Bay of Los Angeles where there's a shortage of flowers. Just be a, a flower peddler. I'm not kidding. I'm thinking about it. But in the meantime, I'll stick to soccer. Glad to be with you once again. I really enjoy doing this. And great, thank you for the wonderful feedback and all those listening. And please pass it on. We are go- I'm not going anywhere. We're going to grow this thing. And I'm so excited about the conversation I'm going to have with Eric Krakauer, who was the first guest on the Soccer OG. A, a young talent working in BN Sports. And a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in this episode is games that he called over the weekend. He called the Sevilla game. We'll talk about Spain. He called the Lille game. We'll talk about France. An incredible story in Liga. So I don't want to get too long-winded on here because I want to I want to leave the majority for that interview. We're also going to discuss what happened in the Champions League where Jim Beglin used an expression about a Hispanic player, a Latin player, saying he... he it's the Latin temperament. Is that why he struck out? I think it's important to have that conversation. Jim Beglin made a mistake. No one wants him to get in any trouble for this. He was a very sincere apology. But there is some things we have to address with regards to that. And me being Hispanic, Cuban to both parents, sometimes I've gotten no, I've gotten no benefit of being Hispanic. I know Hispanics don't get that. I haven't. I have never seen it. I hope it happens because there's some good young Hispanic talent that we need to get an opportunity for. So we'll address that, and in 
stoppage time, I'm going to talk about what's happening at Manchester United. I know we discussed it last week, but some newer developments and what it means because the club and then the the first team are doing different things and it's got to be conflicting for a lot of the supporters. I got to go to a game. It felt fantastic, although not the result. The Galaxy hosting LAFC. I work for LAFC. I went to Dignity Health Sports Park. They allowed like eight, 9,000 fans there. It was electric. And it's a big rivalry game. And it was a sensation I hadn't felt in a long time. So I really appreciated being there. And even afterwards, fans yelling at each other. Prof- profane lace go, da-da-da-da-da. You know, you felt a little worried like you might get in a little hairy situation outside the stadium. And that's a good feeling. So, you know, I know... In Los Angeles, we're far behind other parts of the United States for fans and getting back to normal, for lack of a better expression. I saw the images from Arlington, Texas, where they had the baseball stadium packed for opening day. Uh, We're not there. Uh, The numbers here in California are very good with regards to COVID, and I think it's going to happen really fast. But I really appreciated the moment there, and I missed it. And I hope everyone gets to experience that soon. But we're still in a very delicate situation. It's not in this sport where we it's international. We There's different sets of rules. And that's kind of what I'm also going to be talking about with Eric in uh, regarding the Champions League final, which is looks like it's going to be moved. It'll probably be moved by Monday. I'm recording this late Sunday night. But enough of my yapping. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. It's the business end. Me and Eric Krakauer going Mano e mano. This is the Soccer OG. Please spread the word. Subscribe. Welcome back to the Soccer OG. Time for the business end. And it's very special today because it's the man who was in the first business end ever. Very special. You can take that to your grave, Eric Krakauer of the Sport. <laughs> yeah. I will. I will. 100%. (laughs) Hopefully that that grave is many, 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 many years away from now and you can enjoy and blossom what you do. Listen, I felt like I heard you. I heard you broadcasting all weekend or all week. You did. You did. It's been a a busy week. We were actually next door to each other just a few days ago calling games. Right. And and I'll talk to Eric about broadcasting and we all get so envious. I go, are you doing the Sevilla game? And then we're like, we all do this and like, but we're, and I, I knew uh, Eric, I know you said something to me and I was like, you were, we, we met for the first time. You're like, oh man, there's like nowhere. It's like a dingy VO booth with a tiny monitor. And you're like, there's nowhere I'd rather be than in yeah. this room. Yeah. <laughs> I go, me yeah. too. Is that weird? <laughs> you like being in tight spaces that are dark. <laughs> yeah. So to speak, that's basically what it was. You know, like I live in a, uh, in an attic or like a basement somewhere in a, in a treasure box from the 1970s. But hey, you're in one right now. <laughs> I just, I just, every time I think I'm out, they drag me back in. Well, I, it's awesome to talk to you. And it's great because I, I send you topics and I say, this is what we're going to talk about. And I'm always comfortable. Go, this guy is immersed in it. So we'll have a great conversation. And you talk about it on being sports on the locker room and uh, so eloquently follow Eric Krakauer, K R A. K A U E R. Oh, oh my God! We're gonna be lifelong friends. I, I always like to go Eric Krakauer. That's like the Miami style. <laughs> okay, the Portuguese style. The Portuguese style. The Portuguese. Well, Is that how they say Krakauer? Well, you know, it's it's a it's a German name with Polish origins, but in Portugal they go Krakau. Oh, Krakau. Oh, you're so exotic. <laughs> and on knows. that note. <laughs> 
I know you guys covered you. I mentioned you covered the Sevilla game. This was the weekend we were looking forward to in Spain. The top four all playing each other. Barcelona hosting Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid on a Saturday. Real Madrid hosting Sevilla on a Sunday. This is where we get some clarity. We got none. We got less clarity. All both. They all shared points. Both games ended in a tie. The Barcelona one scoreless at home against Atletico Madrid. And I think that's the one because I was talking on this podcast last week that the Sp- some of the Spanish media and I, I based on El Chiringuito, which I watch all the time now, which is, it's, it's in my bloodstream. They had fi- Barcelona was 55% favored to win. And I don't know that now. Atletico Madrid still lead it. I feel like they're going to crawl over the line now. I For a minute there, Sevilla was also... They had it. They were beating Real Madrid on a crazy VAR decision, which we'll get to. But I, I want to say not much has changed in the race, but I feel like if there was another poll, Atletico might be the favorite just because they have an edge and there's one less round and this crazy round where they play each other's behind us. Yeah, the one thing that's been really interesting is that over the last few weeks, take Sevilla out of the equation. Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona have been in control of their own destinies at at some point. Real Madrid, before kicking off against Sevilla, were in control of their destiny. If they beat Sevilla today at Valdebebas, I think there would be odds-on favorites to win the title because, look, they did it last year. At the tail end of the season, they just rampaged through those final 10 or 11 games, and the same seemed to be true again today. which would have been particularly impressive considering how poorly they played against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. But here we are in a situation once again where Atletico Madrid seem to have nine lives. They've been in in these situations before. Where they, have, they haven't relinquished the lead, have they? I mean, I thought, yeah, yeah, I guess Barcelona, no, because Barcelona could have had them and they got the tie yeah, instead of... Barcelona needed to beat them in order for them to not be in control of their own destiny. So uh, Real Madrid had a real opportunity here because they have the head-to-head against Atletico Madrid. So... They wasted it, a game filled with controversy. Um, you know, I've been attacked on Twitter this afternoon for my take on, on, the, on the extra. I think the same is What was the take? What I, did you say? Well, are, are we getting ahead of ourselves? We want to talk about the VAR decision? <laughs> okay, we should talk about the VAR. I thought, uh, first of all, I've fallen in love with Sevilla. They, the way they play, the, the way they've stuck into this. And, I mean, they dropped points at home to Athletic Bilbao. You figured it was over. And then here in the second half, they're winning late. I go, man, they might sneak back in here. If they had won, they would have been just four. It would probably still too much, too long of a bridge to cross. But it just said that that incredible stick to itness. They have these players everybody wants. They have guys scoring goals. It's a collective across the board. And obviously uh, the manager who's been vindicated so many times, it's a wonderful story. I, I fear it's going to be broken up here uh, at the end of the season, because obviously Clinton is one of those guys who's in demand and we'll see where all these other players fall as well. But I guess we I'll, let's talk about the VAR decision. I'll come back to the Barcelona uh, maybe it's all out of order, but I can't help myself. So <laughs> I'll explain what happened. Game was tied 1-1. Corner kick. Uh, you see Sevilla's protest uh, handball. So nothing was called. Kareem Benzema does this full gallop out of the other end. 90-yard run. Gets drawn down in the penalty area for a penalty for Real Madrid. They review there was a handball on Adam, Adam Militao. First of all, I thought they got it right, but I got attacked because they said, no, he got it wrong. And because the handball rule I makes me want to put my head through a wall. 
It is so frustrating and it's arm, shoulder. What is it? I almost want to go back to the day. If, even if it's accidental, if it hits in a hand, I go tough luck just to make it a little more black and white for all of us. But it's been very frustrating. I'm not a huge fan of VAR, but I thought they got this right and they were very quick about it and they changed the, the decision. Sevilla go in front, Real would score a little bit later. But it's, I also got attacked because I, I did a tweet. I said, hey, no big deal. It was sarcastic and people were going, what do you mean no big deal? It's going to side the Spanish title. I go, I was joking. I got to stop sarcasm. Okay. So you, so your take was, uh, was it was the right decision? And how did you see that implementation? Or would yeah, you- it, was the, it was for me, it was the right decision. And, and uh, I can't think of the uh, referee's name at, at the moment, because I've been calling so many games this week that, <laughs> you know, that just one just blurs into the other, but I thought it took an awful lot of courage for a referee in the lion's den, uh, Real Madrid's home. I know it's not the Bernabeu, it's Valdebebas, but all the pressure that comes with making a decision that is going to have an enormous impact on the direction of the league title. And yet he made a decision in favor of Sevilla. And so often we have seen, not so much this season, but last season we saw so many VAR decisions come down on the side of Real Madrid. And, you know, I think it's important that I add that all those decisions, in my opinion, were correct. I think there was one on, on their behalf. On their right. behalf. Correct okay. on, on the, on the I remember behalf. seeing a couple of those too. And I got a little, there was the one against Sociedad and they were all crazy, but the you could explain to me what a handball yeah. is and not, and I could argue what right. is and what isn't right back at but you. Going, but going, going back to this specific game, look, it's a situation where Eder Militao has his arm extended far away from his body. The ball hits it. After rolling off his shoulder, it sort of just rolls down his arm. <laughs> and it's one of those situations that, you know, there is some subjectivity. But if you look at the actual letter of the law, if you look at some of the clauses in the handball rule, clauses that say things like uh, uh, your arm away from the body is making your body bigger. Uh, you know, uh, there's also a, a part that says, if you have your arm extended away from your body, there's a good chance that you will be penalized for it if the ball hits it, right? So there's some interpretation, but I think if you read the rules, the referee was correct in erring on the side of a handball decision. But what made this particularly egregious for Real Madrid is that it took away what was a blatant penalty that would have been called in their favor and not only that, but Yassin Bonu, the Sevilla goalkeeper, would have probably been sent off as well because he makes no attempt to get He rugby ball. tackled Benzema. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so it's, it's one of these situations. Look, I understand the frustration because of what you said right from the beginning. And that is that the handball rule needs to be addressed more, more specifically than it already has in the last few months. Because I have had a look at this. They looked at the handball in attacking situations where the ball inadvertently strikes somebody in the hand and then it leads to a goal. Because as of now, you scratch that goal off. But starting in July, it will give the referee more of a purview to decide whether that was intentional or it wasn't intentional, which I think is only just going to make matters worse because it makes it even more uh, of a gray area. It's so, giving me a headache thinking about it. Exactly, it really is. Exactly. I mean, I just tied myself in knots explaining it. So <laughs> it, it was a difficult decision. I give credit to the referee. I think that, that he was 85% right. And for me, that is good enough. Juan Martinez Munuera was the referee. Right. Martinez Munuera was the man who made the call. 
So I will give him his props because we both agree it was a tough decision. Incredibly difficult because it changes everything because it's Real Madrid win that game. It's two points. They're, as you said, they're top of the table with Atletico Madrid. So, uh, so compelling. And I, I, I just watching this, I go, this is so fascinating because this is the modern game in a nutshell. We're going to, we have, we always talked about this possibility of happening where we wouldn't see it and there'd be a goal at the other opportunity. And basically that's what happened. We had a goal, a penalty that was brought down. And I wonder if the Sevilla keeper even thought it was a handball and he says, I'm going to truck him down and we're going to review it. Who knows what went through? But I, one thing I want to get away from is the, uh, the the biology lesson from these referees when they tell me the shoulders attached to the the elbow and if this I go please stop that because uh, that is confusing and no one can really properly implement that when it goes that I think intent has to be there and just the unnatural motion of the arm and that is reviewable but I don't know how you unsimplify or simplify it there probably isn't but it's it needs to be addressed there's no doubt about it. I will say this about the other game, and this is not fair. And I've been critical of Lionel Messi for some of the big games in the Champions League for not rising to the occasion and having that winning moment to get them through in the last few where they've gotten knocked out early. It's not on his shoulders. It's a team sport. But I just personally want to see him win this. I want to see him like score the game winning goal. He had an okay game this week. Uh, scoreless against Atletico Madrid, which is a lot of the time that they, the scores you get. He did score the week prior, but he has three games. And I just want to see him, of all the players in these three teams that are still chasing the Spanish title, I want to see him grab the ring and just say, Barcelona, jump on my back. I'm going to take you there. And I would imagine that winning the league, and I think Messi's going to stay either way, but winning the league or not winning the league how big of a difference will it make for him staying? Uh, obviously, if they win the league, I think it's a no-brainer. If he loses it, he he considers it, although I still think he's going to do it. But if it, if it doesn't go well, I mean, if they lay an egg here and they say finish third, I mean, it's going to leave a bad taste in the mouth. But it's it just makes it incredible because now all three of these teams, this is what they're chasing. They're all out of Europe. They are focusing on this, and only one of them is going to lift the trophy in the end. Yeah, look, um, I, I think everything you said is correct. I, I, I don't share the sentiment uh, that you have of wanting to see Messi win this because I couldn't care less whether Messi wins it or not because I don't have a horse in, in the race. And if I did, it would probably be Atletico Madrid because, look, you want to see an outsider, if you can call Atletico Madrid, an outsider winning you know, the, the title, they haven't won it since 13-14. There's an incredible symmetry between what's happening this season and what happened that season, where it seemed that none of the big three, including Atletico Madrid, wanted to win the title. They were just dropping points before that famous game at Camp Nou, where Alexis Sanchez scores the first one, and then Diego Godin with that leaping header scores the equalizer. That's all Atletico Madrid needed. And at Camp Now, they win the title. Tata Martina is sacked like a Tata, Tata Martino is sacked a couple of weeks later because he was in charge of Barcelona. It's a huge win. David Villa had just signed from Barcelona to Atletico Madrid. You've got the Luis Suarez story uh, as well. Uh, similar numbers in, in, involved. So it'd be interesting to see Atletico Madrid. And, you know, you want to see more competition in La Liga because... You know, there's been a duopoly for the last two decades. Um, but going back to your point about Messi and whether he leaves or stays, look, I think his, 
his mind is made up. He's going to stay in Barcelona. He's got a family that is perfectly happy there. He loves the city. He's been at the club since he was 11 years old. And, you know, his, his father's signature was signed on a, on a piece of paper at, at a restaurant. I just think that the, the legacy of Lionel Messi should forever be intertwined with Barcelona. Of course, there's a, there's a selfishness in me wanting to see that happen. But I just think at his age right now and seeing, you know, that PSG isn't necessarily delivering either. And that is the only potential destination or the most likely destination. I know there's who has the money to sign a Messi, right? There's been talk about Manchester city. And according to reports, PSG has made an offer. I don't know whether that is true or it isn't. I just think that given what he has around him right now, given what Ronald Koeman has done, it would behoove him to stay at the, at the club and the city that he loves, because I do believe that if the right moves are made in the, in the transfer market and Barcelona does not have money to play with, but if they're able to sell some players, they're not going to bring in a superstar, but if they're able to bring utility players who can stack that bench, add a little something here and there in a, in a long calendar, in a squeezed uh, calendar, I think they could compete in the Champions League. I, I think that anybody dismissing Barcelona in the Champions League next, next season is, is doing a disservice to the talent that is available to Ronald Koeman. There was, you know, discussion about who Barcelona could bring in to make this team. And obviously finances took a big hit, but they're going to have to spend to appease Messi. One of the big targets was to bring Neymar, but he is now signed uh, long-term with Paris Saint-Germain. I will just want to clarify. I want to see Messi seize this opportunity for him, for the story, to have that closure to, yeah. to have a good taste in his mouth. I want Atletico to win because I don't know if I've told you this. I'm a huge Diego Simeone fanboy. I defended him at such length. I almost got into a fist fight once. And I was like, don't you say that about Simeone. I don't like the way he plays. Uh, it's this year in particular, there have been some games which were close to unwatchable. But I love the romance of Simeone, that this is the club that he took to a championship. at Argentinian really opening the door for all these South American coaches in, in many ways. And I just love everything of the grit. Him as a player, even the the, the parts, like getting Beckham to get a red card in the World Cup, I love that. I was like, this is awesome. So everything about Simeone, you can't say a bad thing about him. Uh, You can say all about his style and I'll get me angry. So that's the truth, Eric. I want Atletico to win because of my guy, Simeone. Yeah, you also have a a penchant for wearing dark clothes, like all black, (laughs) right? So there's that as well. Listen, you know, I would be lying to you if I said I have, haven't been critical of, of Diego Simeone. And I know that you watch be in sports every once in a while, just to just to every Saturday and Sunday, Eric, every Saturday and Sunday, and some oh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you, I put you through that, but, but I've been critical of him and um, you know, this season in particular, because you know, he had an insurmountable lead and then all of a sudden, he decided to go back to his defensive style, and Ugh. that's where he may have lost the league if Atleti don't win. So a lack of courage, if you will, a lack of conviction in his attacking football, which got the best out of Luis Suarez. And Luis Suarez, he scored what? I think three goals in the last 12 games. And I think that has more to do with the tactics than it has to do with Luis Suarez. It'd just be amazing if they grind it out in the end, which it seems like might be the case at this point. Okay, we're, I'm going to rip through these other leagues pretty quickly because uh, there's some compelling stories. 
I'm going to talk about Manchester United later. So I just wanted to talk about what they have been able to do. Obviously, the big protests there, the game postponed against Liverpool last weekend is now rescheduled for Thursday. They play on a Sunday. They went to Aston Villa. They trailed the game and they came roaring back to win it 3-1. They play again on Tuesday, hosting Leicester. And then they play the remake of the game Thursday. They're not going to win the Premier League. They're 10 points back, but they've extended it because Manchester City lost to Chelsea. And this is, I mean, they're just ripping through getting results. I have fallen in love with everything about Manchester United because it was the team I hated the most for so long. And I know these players have had to deal with a lot going to the game last week and then finding out it's postponed going to uh, postponement, the protests, obviously you hear and you read everything about Manchester United and the fans are angry and the players are in, in toe step with the fans Fans telling these players, hey, why don't you speak out against these clubs? And they don't they shouldn't have to. They are players. uh, This is they are they have a job. They work for that club. Hearing about all their all the stuff aired out about how they take a pay reduction if they don't make a certain Champions League. So all of this came out. So there were so many reasons for this team to kind of duck their head and maybe be a little humiliated, not humiliated, but a little humbled by the whole situation. Yet they just rip through Roma in the first leg. They get to a Europa League final and then they've, they push Manchester United. It's going to be interesting if for some weird reason that becomes a title race, because if they win these two games, Tuesday and Thursday, it'll be a four point difference. Manchester City will play on the weekend. They'll probably clinch it at that point. I'm trying to see who they play. Uh, Newcastle on Friday, but they're, they're just extending it. I hope, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets a trophy. It would have to be the Europa League. They're going to finish a solid second. This is the best season if they win the Europa League. This is the best season they have had since 2013. So when we hear all the dirty laundry and all this, and rightfully so, I mean, this has been a a bad situation financially. Uh, You look at what this team has been able to do. And I give credit to the team. I'm not giving it ownership or the club. I give it credit to the team and the manager to incubate all this and play the way they have play a nice style. I just hope it ends well, but I think it will because they are just on, they are torching people. It's they fall behind, they take a lead and they have that spirit. And I mean, a clean set of heels against Aston Villa three, one at the end, this was, it's been to me, one of the better stories on the field in 21. Yeah, I think their issue has been conceding early in the first half and having to recover, but they've been able to claw back into games and ultimately get the win. You know, you were talking about 2013, 16-17 is when they came second, I think, right? And they won the Europa League as well against yeah. Ajax. They so, finished, I think they finished sixth that year. The year that, the, they, that they beat Ajax? The, was that the Mourinho in 2017? Mourinho, 2017. Yeah, I think I don't think they finished second. That's why, because I looked, because I compared and contrast, because obviously finishing second puts this season above that in my estimation. Right. I may have mixed them up. Okay. Um, but that I'll double was, check. You know, a successful season, and you you look at. I think that the thing that we should focus on, as we examine the success of Manchester United, is just how far away from this they were a year and a half ago. I mean, Solskjaer comes in. He there's that manager new manager bounce because anything that was uh, an antidote to the Mourinho toxicity was going to be successful in the beginning, and then you had to determine whether 
through his own merits, Solskjaer was going to be able to keep the, the ship afloat. And there were some peaks and in, in valleys. I'm completely screwing up my metaphors here using different ones, but, but you, get, you get the gist. You get the gist of, of, what I'm, of what I'm saying. And, you know, a lot of knives were pointed. Oh, yeah. Right? He's not going to make it. When he got his contract extension, you know, some people were happy, but two weeks later they were upset because the results didn't show up. So he's managed to navigate that. He's managed to insulate his players from criticism from outside. He's managed to, in some ways, breathe a second life into some of those players. I mean, Paul Pogba, for example, who was destroyed by, by Mourinho. Uh, you look at Luke he's, he's a different player. He's a, he's no longer that deep line midfielder. He gets up there and he does it wonderfully. And it's a well-oiled machine. I think right, that's yeah. the least reported great story of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, this is a guy who took a lot of flack for his poor performances. I mean, the whole team was performing poorly, but because he was a world record transfers fee, you know, I think there's some racism involved in there too, as there often is when it's a, it's a player who is was uh, black, um, and so Solskjaer has managed to regalvanize his players. He's managed to find a counterattacking system that is suitable. Th- they they took a gamble, I think, price wise on Bruno Fernandes. I think he actually came for for cheap, okay. and you know I went on SiriusXM and told you know people like Charlie Stilitano, like seventy million. That's nothing for this guy. This guy is going to be this guy is going to be a star in Manchester United. You know, and some people believe me, other people didn't. You I know, wouldn't have believed you at the time, the way he has played. And I would have said 70 million. Who is this guy? He is right. just. And that is, listen, and that was the consensus at the time. But this is a guy that I was watching week in and week out because I'm a sporting supporter. I saw how he carried that team. And I believe that he was going into another club that in some ways was going through the same sort of turmoil, right? They needed a leader on the field, somebody who was not afraid to take responsibility, would grab hold of the reins and try and lead them forward. And that's exactly what we've seen from from this guy. So I think all the pieces were put together by Solskjaer. And I think he has got to go down uh, as one of the the best managers of the past year uh, in world football, because what he has accomplished with the Red Devils is nothing short of spectacular considering where this club was a year and a half ago, two years ago. And a year and a half ago, would you have imagined you would be saying that about Ole Gunnar no, Solskjaer? Absolutely no. not. I'll leave it at this and just a list of things that he did. Uh, Paul Pogba, they were saying he's going to go somewhere else. He's, I feel he's untouchable now at Manchester United. Guys like Luke Shaw, the veteran guys, they are, they, most of them have all had career years. Edison Cavani's come in and scored goals. He's found his groove in every single way. Uh, have they missed the spot on some guys like Vanderbeek? Yeah. But the, remember they said they were going to push the academy players? Well, these young kids have all come through. And Mesa Greenwood scored a, a beautiful goal this He's weekend. A wonderful talent. But they let these guys blossom. And I think at the time they wanted ex- more experienced players, but they let the kids play, even going back to Marcus Rashford. And that's paid off because now they're seasoned stars. They're really good. I just think so, about, just real quick, going back to the point I made about Pogba and racism, just think of all the crap that oh. Rashford has had to go through this year because he was trying to improve the society he lives in. He was trying to keep malnourished children properly fed, and he is getting attacked in the media, in the tabloids, for wanting to do that, and yet managing at the same time to play 
good football, score important goals, stay healthy when he was dealing with some injury uh, problems previously to that. I mean, it's just the, the whole thing is remarkable. The Glazers have been a, a dark cloud a, a, on the club. I hope that thing, that a whole thing gets sorted. In the Serie A, Inter are champions. And by the way, I think they beat somebody 5-0. Five, five so they, are, they're not, they want to win everything. They're not like laying off the gas. So that's been interesting. But Juventus had a big game against Milan. This is obviously one of the big fixtures. Juventus were at home. They lose and they slide into fifth place. So and Napoli leapfrogged them. And I think what happens this late in the season, if someone's in those spots, they don't relinquish them. So Juventus... Right now, we'll be going to the Europa League. Napoli, the Champions League. Milan to the Champions League. Inter and Atalanta. It's a, I think in a, everyone wants Juventus in there. By the way, it feels like since the Super League happened, the big three that are still somewhat saying that the Super League is going to happen, Real Madrid, Juventus, and to a lesser degree, Barcelona, all feel kind of cursed. They're all struggling. And now Juventus in the Europa League, which brings up... <laughs> He did a fist pump, uh, which brings up a practical question. No one likes the Super League. It brings up a practical question. If they finish in the Europa League position, Cristiano Ronaldo has a one-year deal, has one year left on his deal. Does he remain and play in the Europa League? I would imagine there's something there in the contract that says he has to be in the Champions League. No one would have thought that Juventus, after winning whatever, nine straight titles, would go all the way back to fifth. I can't imagine a Champions League without Ronaldo. I know UEFA can't. And they will do everything in their power to have him because he is, along with Lionel Messi, the two num- the two number one box office attractions. There is a some of the, the some of the stuff we read is that he wants to finish at his his boyhood club, Sporting, maybe at the end of next next year. But he can't just sit out a year and pursue something. I, I would imagine he ends up somewhere else next season. If he doesn't, it's it would be his decision, and it's. He wants to do well at Juventus and make them make them whole before he leaves, which is a nice uh, it's a nice gesture, obviously. But this is still Ronaldo in the end of it, and we all want to see it. There's a big dollar sign attached to it, so there's that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know everyone knows Eric Krakow from his Portuguese. He knows the Portuguese, and we, we need people who know the Portuguese country and league and game very well because they are Portugal's everywhere. They are leading the way. In managers, in technical directors, as we'll talk about in a second, and obviously in players and national team. And TV broadcasters. And TV broadcasters, second to none. (laughs) So we obviously talk about Ronaldo. And the other situation is uh, Andrea Pirlo. And I'm always reluctant when they bring in the romance of the former players. And it buy off. It generally doesn't work. But this year, it's it's worked so poorly. We saw it with Frank Lampard. They part ways with him. And look what's happened to Chelsea. They could be the champions of Europe. And now Andrea Pirlo, he needs he needs to learn the ropes with the coaching or something because he they've come out. And the one thing that bothers me about Pirlo, he's such a beautiful player. The way he manages is not the way he plays. It's two different identities. So I never quite understood. I thought because they're very hard to watch, but it doesn't matter the style here, Eric. They just haven't gotten the results. So I, I can't see that if, if Juventus bringing Pirlo back. I, I just don't see it. No, I don't think it's going to happen. And look, this has been a trend over the last few years, right? You bring the former bona fide star, the myth of the legend, and you expect all that playing class 
uh, to to translate into management. And it doesn't often pan out that way. You know, you look at Pep Guardiola, he had spent some time with with uh, Barcelona B, you know, developed players there, made the mo- move. It was a big gamble by Laporta, but it worked out, um, you know, and he had been at the beak at Barcelona B and you could see that the, the ingredients were there, you know, and the famous line is that when Laporta said that he was going to, when he told Guardiola that he was going to make him manager, Guardiola said, you don't have the balls to make that decision, you know, which is a hell of a thing to say to your employer. <laughs> I would never to- say that to a boss. Maybe right. I should try it. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> You'd get out of that little cocoon. You don't have that. <laughs> but, you know, and, and he was, he was given, he was given that chance and he was super successful. Then you have Zinedine Zidane, same thing, right? Breaks all sorts of records in the Champions League. But these are anomalies, right? This doesn't happen. And you look at Juventus because we're speaking about them specifically. They brought in Mario Sosati. They wanted to revolutionize their football. They were sick and tired of the humdrum football that was being um, applied by Max Allegri, which I think is a little bit unfair to a guy who did a tremendous job there and a tremendous job at Milan before that. Let's remember that this, he was the last guy to win a title with Milan. Um, so Mauricio Sarri comes in and they don't give him, the, they don't give him the, the, the instruments that he needs in order to succeed. And yet somehow he wins a title, right? Uh, then, comes, then comes Pirlo. And that's when you understand just how difficult a job Allegri and Sadi had before he's arrived. Oh yeah. Look at Juventus's midfield. It not as, it's not as good as its opponents. It just it simply isn't. Um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo imbalances the team. I, I love him. I love him. But he imbalances the team. And in order to get, you know, you, he's scoring goals. But in order to benefit the most from a player like him, you have to accessorize him the right way. And they never did. It was a gamble that, that the Andrea Agnelli took. He lost it. And I think Allegri very possibly could be returning to the club and with more power now. Unbelievable. Because, because now it's like, haha, you see what you've missed out over the, you know, the last couple of seasons since I've been gone. Now I'm back. And just very quickly on your Cristiano Ronaldo point about the Europa League. Look, we all know that if you talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, you talk about Lionel Messi, right? They're inseparable. And the vast consensus is that Lionel Messi is the better player overall, right? You can say Cristiano Ronaldo is the better scorer. I'm not even going to get into that. They're both incredible. Do you players. want to? Do you want to go? Let's just go right into it. I definitely don't <laughs> want to go into it. But I will tell you this. Do you know who pays attention to that conversation? Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. Yes. And when Cristiano Ronaldo looks at all the trophies, he sees that he has a European championship. Messi doesn't have a continental one. And he doesn't have a World Cup either. And you better believe that there was nobody rooting against Messi more in the 2014 World Cup final than Cristiano Ronaldo. I guarantee <laughs> I guarantee it. Love He's it. Smashing things. So he looks at his Champions League record and he goes, I have a significant advantage over Lionel Messi goal scoring wise. But if I don't play in the Champions League next season, given how good this MF is, he's going to catch up with me. And I'm not willing to let that happen. So I think you're right, Max Bredos. I think that if Juve don't get into the Champions League, he's going to force his way out. We should do a game show called Inside Cristiano's Mind. And I will just ask you a question. What do you think he's thinking? But you're absolutely right. And if whoever's the best player, when you look at the successes, look, we can we could look at them play and say who is 
the more exciting Lionel Messi, who does these incredible free kicks, I would probably give it. But if you're looking at results, if you're looking at resumes, Cristiano Ronaldo wins because of that, for doing it more different clubs to doing it on the national team level, he has done it. Uh, so I, I, I think that that your point, I didn't even think about it. It was like, wait a minute, he's going to catch up. If I don't play in the team, he's going to play exactly. in the champions league. I got to play. So exactly. And those pecs and those apps aren't going to last forever. And I know that he thinks to himself, well, Messi doesn't have those. Yes, for sure. God, so petty. So petty. I'm going to do a little curveball here for a topic because there was this tweet I saw over the weekend from a Maxi with two A's. Angelo, great name. Maxi Angelo sounds like he should he should be a, a pop star. Model. Your model, Maxi Angelo, hitting the runways in Milan and Paris and Barcelona this summer. So he was talking about Lille, who won this weekend PSG tied. It does appear Lille is going to win the French title, which is an another amazing development. So he talked about Luis Campos, who is the technical director. And he said, Lil sold Pepe, Nicolas Pepe, for 80 million euros, replaced him with Osimen, Victor Osimen, for 22.4 million. They sold Osimen for 70 million, replaced him with Barack Yilmaz on a free transfer. Now Yilmaz has scored 15 goals in 25 games, and Lil is on a trajectory to win League 1. <laughs> Luis Campo is a maestro. Portuguese director of football who has not only put Lille in a place for success, but he is not only going to go to the Champions they're going to win the French League, but he's he's making this club profitable. By the way, I will say Aussie Man has been fantastic for Napoli, scoring a ton of goals, so there's that also. But this, again, is a story that you got to call the Lille game, so it's perfect that you're here. They they are hitting players. They're developing new players. They have an incredible spirit. They have a CONCACAF tie because you have Tim Weah coming off the bench and you have Canadian Jonathan David, who is behind uh, Ilmaz, who's 35 years old. Uh, and he's given this responsibility. He's taken. It is watching their games is so delightful. The manager, Christophe Galtier, you know, so emotional, giving everyone kisses on the sideline. It is it's it's I can't believe it's happening, but it's it's just one of these things where it's it's good across the board. It's it's the best club in the world, you could say. In a 2021 where we've had so much club disappointment and and loss, this is a, if you had to list successes based on everything, Lil's number one. They're number one. Yeah, listen, it's it's a fantastic story, and there's so much to dig into here. And I know that you know time is of the essence in life in general, but specifically in this spot. And uh, let's talk with, about Luis Campos, because this is a guy, he wasn't officially the sporting director. He was, he was uh, you know, the head of the recru recruitment team, but he was actually a consultant at the club. Um, he was at Monaco before he was at Lille. He orchestrated the title in 2016-2017. The, so far, the only title or the only team that has interrupted PSG's dominance since QSI took over in 2011. Kylian Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, um, Jibril uh, Siribe, uh, you know, uh, Bakayoko. I mean, it's just uh, Benjamin Mendy. It's this whole team of stars that he managed to bring together and turn into uh, a league on winning team and a Champions League semifinalist. He leaves Monaco to go to, to Lille. Oh, and before that, he worked for Mourinho. He was 
you know, one of his transfer gurus at, at Real Madrid and probably the only person that Mourinho has never said anything negative about. Um, but Luis Campos goes there and he, you know, brings players who had been written off like Victor Osman, who was, he was at Wolfsburg, didn't work out. He was sold uh, to, uh, uh, I forget what club. Osman? Osman in Belgium. Oh, Napoli, right? No, but no. In oh, Belgium, before that, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. He went to, to Lille. He, he brings him back. Um, and he, he transforms these diamonds in the rough into sparkling diamonds and sells them for, for a tremendous amount of money. And this is something that he's done everywhere he's been. But there's a dark side to this story. And, and the dark side to this story is that I don't know exactly, and I don't believe a lot of people know what's been going on, but they're in dire straits financially. Because, because of the curtailed season last season, they didn't get all the TV revenue that they had they overspent i don't know on what jared lopez the president has been relieved of his duties uh campos has left all this to basically say that lille are in a situation now where they're about to make history they are going to beat saint etienne next week and angers the and, week and clinch the title they're going to clinch the title but after that all these players these remarkable players that have put together this unbelievable title run they're all going to leave, except for somebody like Burak Yilmaz. They're going to be pinched because the club is in such financial dire straits that they can't keep these players. And that is what is very sad. What Looking a bummer. Thanks a lot, Krakauer. I know, I know. I'm all taking right. Lil off the top of my list. So enjoy it now, Max Bredas. That's what I'm saying. Enjoy oh. it right now. Because I think they're going to do it, and it is not as impressive a story as Leicester City, but it is close. Wow, that's pretty bold. That's strong. And look, PSG, I mean, I think when with new ownership and the way they've gone after the Killian Mbappes and the Neymars, we figured they'd win the French League as long as that was set in place. And this happens and it's PSG not only never caught them, they're off their back wheel now. They're four points back. Truly, and PSG, truly amazing. So we will enjoy it. And PSG dropping points against their rivals. They lost twice to Monaco. They lost once in time against Lille. Uh, and then against uh, Lyon, I forget exactly what the, they won one and I think they tied the other. So they haven't been able to get it done against the big teams PSG this year, which in some ways is a little bit of a story in the Champions League. I know they beat Barcelona and they beat Bayern Munich, but Barcelona was wounded at the time and Bayern Munich didn't have Lewandowski, didn't have Gnabry. It could have been a very different story. I'm going to abbreviate what we talk about the Champions League final because I want to talk about something that happened in the semifinals that I, th I know we have some interesting com comments about. So the Champions League final, uh, it looks like it's going to be moved to London, which is makes sense. You have the two English clubs. It makes sense. And they'll probably do a make, do, make good for Istanbul to do it next year. And the reason uh, is because of uh, travel restrictions for supporters to go to Istanbul and coming back. Now, I think if you ask the supporters, they would want to go to Istanbul because it would be a life experience. They've probably been to Wembley a thousand times, but it, it, it's still a European competition. It's not going to Turkey. That's the problem. It's coming back and they'd have to face a quarantine. When this happened, though, it hit me as like a very political move. It's the right decision. It's the right decision. Don't get me wrong. But it happened very quickly and it compromises the tournament still because if it hadn't been these two, the game's going to go on regardless who made the final. So it happened the way it did. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, let's, this angle, that was anglified it very quickly to have it here. 
it kind of it gives you have to discuss it. Does it give Chelsea this advantage because they're the London club? It's probably a slight advantage, uh, but it, it's I just I didn't when I saw the news, my 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 shoulders kind of lagged out. And I agree it's the right decision because we're in the year of covid and we got to make it. We got to make this as we got to protect everyone. But if it's in an empty and again, if it's in Istanbul, they don't want to play in an empty stadium. They want atmosphere. They the Istanbul side wants the, the championship next year. There's no doubt about that. But what do you think about this? This on the run. It's this little little curveball that they do to make it to make it more feel like it's a Premier League game on May 29th. Well, look, Istanbul has gone not Istanbul. Turkey has gone into lockdown. Um, and that's a real problem. And safety is the number one concern. So I think moving it is the right decision given the circumstances. It, it, you know, it's the second successive year, consecutive year, where Istanbul loses the, the Champions League final. You know, it, it, it sucks. But that's just the reality that we're dealing with right now. They also spoke about Porto being, being an option. But I agree with you. If you're going to move it and you've got two English teams, just have it in England, right? They're going to have to circumvent the, the rules that have been imposed by the government there that you can only have 10,000 people in the stadium. I think UEFA is going to try and negotiate with, with the government on that. You know, all in all, I think it's the right decision. It sucks for, you know, Ataturk Stadium and for, for that country. But I, I, I believe that UEFA will come good and, and give and give Turkey something a little later on, whether it's next year or a few years after that, we will have to wait and see. It is an all England final because Manchester city knocked out PSG. And in the semifinals, we're watching the game on CBS sports doing a great job in their first full year of the champions league. So they have their broadcasters in London and they're, they're emanating from there. And Jim Beglin, uh, who's fantastic and obviously they got the two number, the two, the number one, the number two British teams in that uh, CBS sports. You're getting Peter Drury, who in my estimation is probably the best English announcer, English language announcer anywhere. And in the game, Jim Beglin, as Angel Di Maria is walking off after getting a red card, said it's the Latino temperament and Twitter and everything went bananas. And it's like he did, I will say this, he didn't say anything wrong because in where he's from, you can say that. You're broadcasting to an American audience and here you can't say it. We've seen it. So you, people have paid a heavy price for things. They said, heaven, I'm, I'm, inv- I'm involved in that group of people. There's, I know all about it. So when we, you look at what he said from his perspective, it's, it's okay over there. But there is the problem in my estimation is to have, you need announcers, whether they're English or American, almost here to know about what's happening in the United States, to know what's going to be said so they can't avoid having this kind of situation. I don't, should have, should have there been an angry mob? There was. I saw one thing that kind of threw me off. And again, I'm Cuban, I'm Hispanic and Hispanics, when it comes to things being said or, or how are they portrayed or stereotypes, they, they don't they don't really complain. They 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 should. They yes. But I saw a lot of people who weren't Hispanic tweeting, go, I was not offended by it. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's not for you to say if it was a derogatory expression towards a black athlete or an Asian athlete. I 
I, this would have been much worse for him. And I don't know if he would have ever said anything like that, but that expression and these stereotypes, it, it, it bugs me. It really bugs me that those are out there. Uh, there was a, sh- there was a show shoot. I can't remember. It was on T it was on Turner. It was like road trip or something of that line. And then I was watching, it was very funny. I'm going off on a huge tangent here. And the two Latino characters, the male one was a drug dealer and the female one was a prostitute. And I'm like, dude, We've been dealing with this. We have these stereotypes that we can't shake. We want to see Hispanics being portrayed in, in, in a certain way and not fill in this, fill in this stereotype that they have a hot temper. I think whatever I'm saying about how I feel about it is fine. And Jim Beglin should go back and be able to do his job. He, he had a very sincere apology. And I don't want to crucify anyone for something they said on air for one time. But what I see happening, this is going to happen again, because in in England, when you're broadcasting the American audience, you have to be aware about what you can and cannot say. And pe- the sensitivity here may be much different than it is there. I will use an example that happened when I worked at Fox and we had the English League and the broadcasters would come out and they would say Sunji High just signed for I think it was Everton. And the expression he they when they referred to him, they called him a, the Chinaman. And in the United States, that has a historical connotation that you can never use. So me and my boss heard that. I go, did you hear that? I go, we've got to reach out to them. And so we reached out to them and they said, look, you guys, you cannot use that expression. You're broadcasting the United States. It has a derogatory expression. They go, whoa, it's OK over here. And I don't know if it's that case now. I'm sure it probably isn't. Our world is changing at a very rapid pace. So we heard it a second time. And I go, dude, we're not kidding. And we're a small channel, so no one's really hearing. I go, we can't have you say that out in the public because if some, the wrong person, if the people hear it, that it offends, it is, it's going to be hell to pay and heads will roll, we can guarantee you. So then they started using Chinese international. Uh, it's it's con- context. And there's these things that that are not the same in every place. But if you're broadcasting to an American audience, you can't say it. you've got to mind your teeth. You've got to be extra careful. And I don't know if there is a if there's a class or a conversation, but it's going to be impossible for that to register because we living in the United States know that we wouldn't dare say something like that. So I don't know if I, I was a little bit convoluted there and I kind of went on two sides. But I just think the end of the day, this a situation like this is going to happen again. Yes. No, I don't think it was convoluted. And I think we, you, we could have dedicated the entire podcast to this topic. And I've been thinking a lot about what, what happened that day. I didn't hear it initially because uh, I was actually listening to that game in, in Spanish. And then I went and played it back, uh, you know, and I saw it all over Twitter. Um, just to go back to something specific that you said about people who were non-Hispanic saying, Oh, I'm not insulted by it. It reminds me of, you know, the, the, I saw like five tweets. I don't want to mention who it is. Like, I almost want to reach out. What do you, right. Right. That's not for you to say. Exactly. And it it reminds me of the whole thing with the Washington, you know, football club now. Yes. And, and, and the name and great example. and, And people saying, well, we don't find it offensive. And yet you have native American tribes saying, well, we find it offensive and it's about us. You're, 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 it's a caricature, an offensive caricature of us as a people. And that in itself should be enough. So just to, to address that point that you made, and I think you're absolutely right. But I, I think that the Jim Beglin 
uh, story. And I completely agree with you. He was one of the best at what he does. Um, shows us how deeply entrenched, how deeply ingrained stereotypes are in our, in our, in our lives, in our brains, that we say things and we don't understand where they come from or why they are said. And this was another example of that. I mean, people say things, continue to say things um, constantly about different people. You know, I, I know somebody, you know, who I, who I respect very much, I know is not a racist, who once said in front of me that, you know, uh, oh, Jewish and money and, you know, uh. you know, totally based on the stereotype. Um, when I explained where that stereotype came from, that person was was upset at at, at himself for for not knowing that, right? And I think that very often what happens is we we cruise through life, we absorb things without ever analyzing what those things are, and we regurgitate them. And we've all done this. We've all done this. It just so happens that in our profession, you might do it when you're live on television. And now with social media, that is amplified. And it can destroy somebody's career. Um, because people also have a, a quick knee-jerk reaction to immediately paint that person as, as a racist, as, a, as a, you know, a xenophobe. I saw some people suggesting that he was xenophobic for, for making yeah. that statement. I mean, you might make, you might say that the statement itself is xenophobic. Even I think that's a little bit harsh perhaps, but it's inappropriate and it's incorrect. And it comes from a place of ignorance in the proper use of the word ignorance, not knowing where it comes from. And I think it was important that Jim Baglin addressed it right away. And I think it was important that he apologized. And I think that this only highlights how important it is that people learn about different cultures, People learn historical context. The word context that you mentioned, I think, is crucial. Different, uh, different uh, 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 cultures and how that impacts language. This is complicated. It is convoluted. You said, you know, you hope that what you said wasn't convoluted. <laughs> this is a convoluted topic. Yeah, there's this no way to avoid it. Right. And this is not something that gets addressed by people, you know, attacking each other with zingers on Twitter. This has to be a discussion. The same thing when it comes to Bernardo Silva, when he posted that picture of uh, a, a chewing gum company that, that uses a stereotype of an African person, right? And he used it to make fun of uh, Benjamin Mendy, his friend. I don't believe he did that because he's racist. I believe he did that because he doesn't understand the stereotype that he was, was using. The same thing with Edison Kinvani and, you know, the use of, of the word negrito that he did in, in, his, in his post. You know, there are lots of these things that are a little bit more complicated than just dealing or, or are too complicated uh, for us to deal in a shallow manner. They, they, they need to be dissected and need to be discussed properly. Uh, and unfortunately, that simply doesn't happen enough. Uh, that's a great answer, Eric. Really, uh, man, that was fantastic. And I think it was so fair. And we all, it, it sounds exhausting to have to learn that, but I don't think it's that difficult because I think, especially in this sport that we're in, you are drawn to 
those aspects and why are we different and why someone plays the game this way and they're from here and why someone plays that game. I find that fascinating. And I, any information I can find out to know about those nuances, I absorb, but that's me. And that's probably you too. But a lot of, I think there's a lot of people that don't want to, they want to keep it saying, and they go, this is the way I've done it. And I've done it for years. And I'm not saying this is Jim Peglin. And I, I just, I know that it's going to be a little trickier here. And we, it happens in the United States all the time. But when I worked at ESPN, we, we really, I mean, we were so sensitive for that. We go, you can't, we got, we, we, fine tune everything. We go with a fine tooth comb, flesh it out to make sure that those things uh, are avoidable. And I mean, I'm, I'm at this point where I think about everything I'm going to say and just think about the consequences and everyone does that. And by and large, by and large, we stay out of trouble. But you know, when I heard, I mean, and I tweeted something when it happened and then I erased it. Cause I go, I don't want to be that guy to, to get this whole fired up. And it, it it obviously he knows and he's learned and he probably he won't make that mistake again, but there's, I hear it too much. And I don't want to single out from the English side where there is a perception because being from England, it's, it's not as, it is getting more culturally advanced, advanced like we are here in the States. Uh, but it's still, there's a certain from English from the way out and how the English are and how, how the rest of the world are, especially in the, in the world of football. And I think that, I think everyone there has to kind of go through the same motions we do in the States where we, we learn and we, and we accept. And again, I'm not saying we're the United States. We, we have a lot of work to do there as well, but so many folks, you know, you've got, it's, it's a tricky situation, but I think you, if you really want to avoid it, and if you don't even, you don't even think about it, you just approach everything and give everything equal attention to what you do in your preparations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Uh, let me, you know, let me just add a, a, a couple of things. Uh, one of them is, and you know this, you know, before I got into broadcasting, I was a, a New York City public school teacher for a long time. And I saw firsthand day in and day out how stereotypes affected my students, even though they weren't fully aware very often about how those stereotypes affected them. They felt that there was something strange, you know, like representation, for example. You mentioned the show that you watched on, on, on TNT. I often talked to my students about people, how, they're, how they've been represented, um, you know, in, in the media. Um, and, and also the way that the police dealt with, with my students and how I believe that they were affected by, um, by stereotypes. And I'll give you a very, a very brief anecdote. I had a situation with a student who had been, who had disappeared for a couple of weeks and then he finally showed up at school and there was, you know, uh, there, the police was on, on, were on the lookout for this kid because obviously his parents uh, reported that he was missing. So he comes in and he came into my office at the time. He was a, he was a dean. I was a dean and he, he came in. Funny enough, I got a tweet from somebody who watched the extra today and said, oh my God, I just saw my former dean on TV uh, today. Which <laughs> That's gotta make you feel old. <laughs> it does. Uh, and he came in and he showed me his legs and he had been, his father had whipped him with the telephone cord. You know, and it, it, it scarred him. And that's why he'd run away from home. Well, the police came, you know, because we, we had to call them legally. We had to call them and said, the kid that was missing is here. Do you know what was the first thing they did to this kid? What? They handcuffed him. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I couldn't believe it. I had to argue with the police officer, and so did an, a, another dean. And they still did not take the handcuffs off. We said, well, he, was, he could run away. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Now, 
What did that say to me in the moment? The only reason this was happening to this kid was because of stereotypes. He was a public school kid. He was a black kid. He had gotten in trouble before, but this had nothing to do with that, right? And so the first thing this police officer did, and I'm not denigrating the police officer, right? Because I believe another one would have done exactly the same, right? Was to handcuff the kid. And then look at what the complaint was. And I know that people listening to this are going, what the hell does this have to do with what you're talking about? It just shows again how these stereotypes affect our behavior, they affect our decisions, and how, you know, how dangerous they can be, how important it is that we learn from them. But at the same time, it really annoys me and scares me that there are people on social media who listen to a mistake like the one that Jim Beglin made and immediately want to destroy his career and his yeah. life. And that is yeah. scary too. That is scary because it could. And it, it, it's happened. It's happened many times before. And, you know, I, I felt the sincerity from Jim Beglin. I just, and, I, and again, when I said from his, I don't think, I mean, that's something that is okay. I, I, maybe I'm dead wrong, but I think that's okay in the United Kingdom where you could say that, but you can't because of the Hispanic. And look, they want to build a Hispanic uh, audience. So they obviously, that's not going to help them do that. But obviously he, he learned a very valuable lesson. We've all been there. We've all learned lessons. It was the show was called The Detour. And I remember when I saw it, I was like, I tweeted and I tweeted the show and I tweeted the the director and he wrote back and he goes, give the show a chance. And I thought it was very funny. I go, I know I don't I don't want to make an example out of you, but it's like I'm so I'm just tired of the portrayal of this. It's like we need I want I want these Latino characters to have depth and be interesting. And it's like we always kind of go in the same two, three lanes. But it is what it is. I don't know if we could ever do that conversation justice. And uh, it, it just was probably something not. that happened. I knew we'd have a good conversation. And as, as you said, we could have probably had the whole podcast to talk about it. But it's uh, again, if you're in a broadcast world, soak this all in. I think the listening to Eric here and about how you have to proceed is essential in your in your day to day. Eric, I can't wait for us to do this again, man. Always a time well spent. Yeah. I'm gonna. You are an OG now, even though you're just you're just a baby in this profession. But congratulations. <laughs> way to rain on Lil's parade. <laughs> hey, listen, they're gonna win a title. That's that's yeah. good. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're coming back with stoppage time. This is the soccer OG. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We are back here and I'm going to do a shortened stoppage time because we went a little longer than I usually do with business end, but Eric was fantastic and I look forward to talking to him again. But I did want to put a little bow, if we can call it that, because I'm sure it's going to continue, on the Manchester United situation as I was watching them play this weekend and I thought about the burden on the players and coaches and how they answered the bell with all of the noise happening around them. The postponement of the game last Sunday against Liverpool, which is now scheduled for Thursday. So they play Sunday, they play Tuesday, they play Thursday. Things are getting worse for Manchester United in the meantime with regards to the Glazers in the front office. Now a report that they have lost a shirt sponsor, a kit sponsorship for their training kits. Um, it was going to get around $280 million, according to the Observer newspaper. Uh, they weren't happy about the fallout of the European Super League, so Manchester-based THG PLC has been due to advertise its My Protein brand on players' kits during training. That's a crazy amount of money for that. Just goes to show you the scope of this team, this club. Uh, 
Uh, the online retailers scrapped the plans on Friday. I'm sure they'll find someone else. Maybe they don't get as much money, but that's the issue here is the money coming in and there's going to be less. So it's, it's a messy situation at Manchester United. Uh, they're putting, as we talked about in the business end, they're putting a good product on the field. I'm just concerned when I, when I see how the Glazers are being vilified. And look, they mishandled it and they deserve it. But every club has an ownership group. And there are some that we are not taking to task. Maybe they're not as loud as the Manchester United fans. And, you know, these are some owners that without going into, you know, there's human rights records that are horrendous, all sorts of stuff that make what the Glazers did, quite frankly, pale in comparison because we're talking about money. And money is what makes this club go round. And there's no doubt about it. And we're seeing that now with the emergence. Although, as we said, the big three that remain in the Super League are struggling. But these Premier League teams, the future looks really bright. But it keeps coming for the Glazers. So you lose the kit. And now the protests, which forced the team to move their game from last Sunday against Liverpool to Thursday. They have a game Sunday. They have a game Tuesday, Thursday. And they still push forward and are still maintaining this Premier League chase. If they win those two games, then Manchester City comes into action on Friday with only a four-point lead. And also they're like, wait a minute, we thought this was done and they're going to win it. But it just goes to show Manchester United and these players and how they've been able to uh, block out the noise and do whatever. And we got about into much detail. But the Glazers, they continue to uh, uh, become the poster boys of bad ownership and bad America. I mean, I, I saw... Grant Wall, who is arguably our number one journalist for the sport in this in the United States. And he was on CBS and he was telling him about a poll he ran on his Twitter that said 90% of American fans disagree and are, do not support the Glazers. And I mean, he was basically on there apologizing for America. And I would tell Grant, you go, do not speak for all Americans. I don't support the Glazers, but what, what, what are we trying to prove here? I mean, it's like groveling in some cases to them and go, hey, we're so, this is how American ownership works. That is their biggest issue is about the way they financed it, got out these loans against the club. And well, lesson learned for everyone. But there's another protest. I mean, there's another protest I was watching. I was looking on Twitter and there's like a flyer out for another protest for Manchester United. I go, what are you going to do? Are you going to get another game? Cancel. I mean, this is this is counterproductive. No, I mean we're, we're making a point. Are you, you think it's going to force the Glazers out? What happens next? It's a very odd situation, but it's the juxtaposition of the team and then the club and what's going on. That's it's it's very interesting, and I love to talk about. It. I'm going to stop right there. We have a new segment called Weekly Plan, so I'm going to break down some games to look forward to for this weekend. And to help you along the way. We talked about the Spanish League. They'll be in midweek action. You can see these games on BN Sports and catch Eric there. Tuesday, Barcelona's at Levante. I want to see Messi score. I want Messi to grab that. Atletico Madrid play Real Sociedad on the Wednesday. Real Madrid travel to Granada. Granada. Agustin Lara. All those games at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Sunday in Germany, it's Mainz and Dortmund. Big, you can see that on ESPN Plus, because uh, for our listeners here in the United States, that's at noon Eastern. We're trying to get Dortmund in the Champions League for our guy Gio Reyna. We mentioned the Manchester United games. Tuesday, they take on Leicester. That's going to be at 1 o'clock, I think, on NBC Sports. 
Thursday, Manchester United plays Liverpool. Check your local listings. One of those could be on Peacock. That's at 3.15, I believe, Eastern time Thursday. And then Manchester City look to clinch the title Friday at Newcastle. In France, we talked about the Lille game. You can see them clinch the title, which will be fantastic. That is 3 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday when they host Sanatian. Wednesday, 2.45 Eastern time, Juventus travel to Sassuolo to keep their Champions League hopes alive. You can see that on ESPN+. And then Juventus play Inter on Saturday. So two games there for the old lady of Italian football. The Mexican playoffs begin this weekend. May 12th and 13th, the classification round for the Liguilla to see who goes to the quarterfinals. Teams that you will see in this round, Santos, Leon, Guadalajara, Chivas, Tigres. Chivas oh, look really rough on Sunday, by the way. I want to talk more about Mexican football. We will for the Liguilla. Tuesday, Copa Libertadores, Santos and Boca Jr. Big game between two of the big names of South American football, football. That's all the time we have. Another episode of the Soccer OG in the books. Please subscribe. Leave a note. Say hello. We, we appreciate the support. I will see you next week. Placido Domingo. Domingo.